My name is Ryan Hall, and I'm the senior pastor of this church. I've been gone for so long, some of you have perhaps forgotten who I even am. Uh, we had Silverbird's family camp one Sunday, I was gone for that. Uh, then, uh, I, then I think we were, then we were gone for two weeks in Europe on the uh, missions trips, and I was back for a weekend, and then gone for a Sunday on vacation. Um, but I am here, and it's good to see all of you. <laughs> so it's really awesome. We're in Romans... And we have, listen, we've got five weeks in the book of Romans left. So this is like the fireworks finale at the end of the book. It's going to be good to close that out. Lots of exciting things are happening. We are counting down to our 10th anniversary. Our church launched September 13th, uh, 2009. So we're almost about to turn two whole hands, which is going to be really fun. We've got festivities for like weeks in a row coming up. We also have a new name and a new logo. Isn't that exciting? Do you want to hear what the new name is? I'll give you four clues. For those of you who are going to be like inspectors trying to discover what the name is, I will give you four clues. This is like, uh, this is like, uh, what's that called where you, uh, where you try and figure out, I forget what game show it's like, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, the first clue is in our new name, there is a C. There, there is a C. And uh, there is also an H. And there is a U, and there is an R. So if you write those down, there's at least one of each of those letters in, in the whole new name. And that's just a start of the hints that I'm going to give you. Uh, that will direct you down the path. But we're, we're like so close to announcing it. Like our logo designer is like tweaking and moving and, you know, like stretching and then the colors and everything. And so, we're so we almost had it done by yesterday, but we just didn't quite get there. So we're, we're almost there, um, but I have a feeling that next week could be the week. So uh, hopefully we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, but here we are in the book of Romans. The series is called Nail It Down. And the sermon today is called Submission to Authority. In Romans 13, this sermon today is about government. It's about honoring and respecting and obeying your government. This is exactly what you wanted me to talk about today. I know that when you woke up, you were hoping that I would talk about respecting and honoring and obeying your government. In fact, maybe you were even praying for a sermon on respecting and honoring your government this morning. Uh, don't worry, only the first half of the sermon is about who you should have voted for in the last election. Okay. And then in the second half, we're going to get around to our right to bear arms and etiquette during the national anthem. That's the second half. And uh, when you combine it all together, it's going to be quite a blessing to your soul. I'm totally kidding. All right. Doesn't it feel like we never stop hearing about politics these days? Doesn't it feel like someone's always clamoring about something on, on the news or on Facebook or wherever? That, just like we never stop hearing about it. And I went for a run a couple of weeks ago. And as I was running around my block, I saw like on a bunch of driveways, these little bags. And those little bags had like a piece of paper and then some rocks in them. And, and I'm not the most perceptive person. So it took me the third lap by the time I saw it. I'm like, why do all of these driveways have these little bags on them? And so I stopped and I picked one up. And uh, I pulled out this piece of paper, and there were like six little white rocks in there. And then the piece of paper said, no more white guilt. And then it gave me four websites I could go to to become a white supremacist. 
I, like, I can't even go for a run in my neighborhood without trying to be recruited to some extreme, like, group that's trying to, you know, get their ideas into me. It feels like it's everywhere, and, and um, so the question is, what does the Bible say about all this? In a day when our government is sharply divided on what is right and what is wrong, when laws increasingly cut against our values, when courts occasionally punish our integrity, uh, when schools regularly contradict our doctrine, when extreme groups and individuals struggle to gain the upper hand in reshaping our society, the question is this, why must Christians honor and submit to our government? That's the question. And if I had to sum up in a sentence what we're going for today, here's the Bible challenge for the day. Ready? Relate to your government in a way that glorifies God. That's it. Relate to your government in a way that glorifies God. Let's pray, and then that's what we'll learn about today. Father, we ask that your voice would be heard in a, in a, a day when there, there's a sea of voices out there drowning out all reason at times and logic. Uh, help us to know your voice on the topic of government and show us how this practically applies to our daily lives. Show us, Lord, why we should live in a way that respects and submits to our government. We pray this in your name. Amen. Romans chapter 13 is where we're at. Let me begin by saying that this book was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to Christians who were living under the Roman Empire. Uh, and the Apostle Paul was writing on a variety of topics, and, and here he gets very practical in the last part of the book, how Christians can live out their faith. So that's the context. It says here in chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Number one, you can write this down in your bulletins, be subject to the governing authorities. It's very clear, sometimes you have to figure out how to apply what the Bible is saying, but it's black and white. Be subject to the governing authorities. Who? Let every person. So if you're a person, this is for you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This text zooms in specifically on um, civil governments, the rulers, uh, but the principles that we'll learn about today apply to all authority figures. So there's authority figures in your home, in the church, at your workplace, uh, in the world. And so this is generally uh, gives us principles on how to respond to authority, but specifically how to respond to government authority. Here's a picture of our government, you know, Capitol Hill. When you think about government, you're thinking about rulers, elected, appointed, getting together, making laws, enforcing laws, giving speeches, raising money like government. Uh, right? But here's another picture of how God establishes government. These are the concentric circles of authority in your life. Uh, every, every moment of your life, you have been under authority. Okay? So no one is ever a law unto themselves. You, you are always under authority. And that authority comes in the form of concentric circles. You began under the authority of your parents. Uh, but if, you know, let's say that were to break down, you, you have a first appeal to the church. Hey, you know, you go to your church leaders and uh, I need help with my child or my husband or whatever because this authority might be breaking down. And the church leaders for Christians, the church has spiritual authority, the Bible says, to keep watch on your souls. Okay, so that, that authority is given from God. 
And then the government has authority as well. And if the church is corrupt, you know, the government is meant to hold people accountable as well. And then God is the final appeal. Now, in your life, believer, you are always under these concentric circles of authority. And you can, you can never really get out from them. The question is just, how do you function under authority? And every single person uh, is under authority. So even if you are a, a government official or a church leader or a parent, you are still under authority and so you're using authority, but you're also under authority. So when it says be subject to the governing authorities, it doesn't mean like those governing authorities can just do whatever they want. It means we're all under it, and we all have to know God's, God's will for it. So the question is, are you relating to government in a way that glorifies God? Are you relating to government, federal, state, and local, in a way that glorifies God. We must submit to our government as an expression of our faith in God. The word submit means to place under, which means they do have authority over us. Yes, as humans, we are peers, right? You can't, sometimes you, you know, you, you hear people talk about government officials as like, well, who do they think they are? You know, he puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like me, right? But they have authority over you. They are higher in rank than you. Obedience also means the submission of the will. Uh, and respect means that there's a heart to back up that submission. So it's not enough, biblically, to be like, fine, pay the toll. That's not enough. There is obedience and there is also respect. That's what it means to be under uh, the submission to the governing authorities. The same is true in the home. God wants children to be subject to their parents, and that includes the heart, and it includes the will, right? So if, if your mom asks you to clean your room, and, you know, you say you'll do it, and five days later, because you're dragging your feet to get there, right, the, the will is not enough. The heart has to be under with respect as well. Now, these verses primarily answer the question, why? So when I say, be subject to your government, ask me why. But, but like, seem agitated about it. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Jot this down. Because God established all government. Let each person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. All authority is from God. The power rulers wield belongs to God. The authority they use is God's possession. <clears throat> the organization they establish is God's establishment. The authority they hold is God's. The establishment they establish is God's. It belongs to God. God established all government. Now, Immediately, I'm sure in your heart, there is many objections to what I'm telling you. Wait just a minute! How can you say all government is established by God and the authority every ruler holds is God's? I know in your mind there's this runaway train of all the things that have happened in history and could happen in history if this is what we tell the world about, about government Right? How could you say Nazi Germany was established by God? 
and the authority they wielded was God's authority. Have you heard about North Korea? How on earth could you go and tell him, you know, you are God, like, this is so confusing. There's many things that are problematic with what I'm teaching you. And there are many objections that come up when we face the stark reality that the Bible claims that all authority has been established by God and belongs to God. The Apostle Paul is, is writing to us in A.D. 57 under Emperor Nero. Okay? So he's not just saying that all government is from God and their authority is from God. He's saying it under Emperor Nero. Now the emperors in Paul's day taught the people that they were gods gods. Can you imagine if our president stood up tomorrow and said, I have discovered something fascinating about myself. I am a god. <laughs> and then can you imagine me still preaching this next Sunday? Because this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. The rulers are from God. The government is from God. The authority is from God. He's not just saying this in like this utopian, like they didn't set up a commune where they have a Christian ruler, right, who, who's memorized the whole Bible and he's not in this bubble. Nero is in charge. Okay, in seven years, Nero is going to blame the fire in Rome on Christians. And, and he's going to throw the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. And he's going to have garden parties where he, you know, he puts Christians on big stakes and burns them to light up his parties, his garden parties. All right. So we kind of lose a lot of our objections here like we could say well not every government is we lose that objection really fast when you realize that the apostle paul was writing under rome under the caesar the emperor who was a madman in addition paul was an original citizen of israel jerusalem well that's no better the government there killed jesus Tell me about the atrocity of your government. Well, I'll tell you all of these things. What did, well, let me tell you about my government. My government killed Jesus. Government ordered hit. Okay. And the Apostle Paul is like, submit to all the governing authorities because they're from God. And the authority that they wield is God's. Do you see how if this was true for Rome... If this was true for Israel, no one under any regime can say, yeah, but, but you have not heard about my government. The truth is there is no exception to the truth that I'm teaching you right now. We lose every ability to delegitimize a government or to say, oh, I don't have to listen to this because of my ruler or my representative. We lose all of those objections. Now, that might be terrifying to think about. You might be like, I don't like that truth. Let me even make it worse for you. The man who's teaching us this truth in the book of Romans was the Apostle Paul. He was a government ruler in Israel who went house to house and killed Christians and threw them in jail. He was an abuser of power at one point. So why, how on earth can he be the one to tell me this when this is a criminal and a murderer who used his position to be atrocious? Everything about this just seems wrong. Um, but listen, when the Bible says every government and ruler is using God's power and is part of God's establishment, that is great news. And the worse the government, the better the news. 
Let me illustrate this for you. I went to Six Flags a few weeks ago. How many of you have been to Six Flags Great America before? Here's a picture of the fun part of Six Flags. This is us taking a picture out front with the family. And then the next picture is me on the raging bull, which is a lot of fun, right? There we are. And it's thrilling, right? But do you want to know the most thrilling place to be in Six Flags? Here's the next picture. This is customer service. <laughs> oh, it gets wild in there. And my first line of the day was customer service. Because when we were coming in, we bought a season pass and the parking, they had a deal. Parking ticket, photo pass. Well, as I'm coming in, the guy at the gate goes, you don't have a parking pass, you've got to pay. I'm like, I've got a parking pass. No, you don't. You've got to pay. I'm like, I'm going to customer service because I have a... So the gate guy told me that I had to pay. I appealed to customer service. So there I am in the line and I gave them all my information. They're like, Oh, no, you, you bought it last year, but you had to come in in the fall and activate it to get your customer. And I said, well, I had a season pass last year. Why would I come in in the fall to activate my second season pass? Well, I figured out that they never do renewals. So whenever you have a, a new season pass, they see it as a second separate season pass. And I was like, that doesn't make sense at all. That means that I have two season passes activated at the same time. I said, I came to the park. I used the parking pass. And she's like, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And I'm like, I want to talk to your supervisor. <laughs> so out comes the supervisor, and she explains it to me, too. And I was like, look, I was at the park. That's what the email said to do. How did I know that I had to come in and say, yeah, I've, here's my one season pass, but I want to activate my second one. I said, that's so, super confusing. And she goes, all right, I'll take care of it. But just so you know, next time, you still have to do this again this fall. I'm like, all right, fine, thank you. But it was so nice to be able to appeal to someone who had authority to help me with my problem. Now, here's the great news that the Bible is laying out for you. Whatever government you find yourself under, you have the authority in the home, and then you can appeal to the church, and then you can appeal to the government. And if that still fails you, if that still fails you, and you're on the phone, and you're like, let me talk to your superior. Do you know what the Bible says? Please hold for God. Please hold for God. And it doesn't matter if the last person you talk to is, oh, no, 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 don't let him on the phone. It doesn't matter what they think. It's God's authority. It's God's establishment. And if they mess it up, he's getting on the line. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. The worse the government gets, I don't want the top person to be like, there is no one above me. You're stuck with just me. Isn't that more terrifying? Isn't that more terrifying? So, be subject to the governing authorities because God established all government. And this is great news. And the worse the government, the better the news. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Number two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Jot this down. Number two, don't resist or reject authority. Number one, be subject, so this is a do, do be subject to the governing authorities. Number two is a don't, don't resist or reject authority. Children, don't resist or reject your parents' authority. None of my kids are in this sermon. <laughs> if you're at work, don't resist or reject your employer's authority. And we don't resist or reject our governing authority. We hear people say all the time, I didn't vote for him. He's not my president. We can't resist or reject 
uh, the authority. We're not free to declare that those laws don't apply to us, that those rulers aren't our rulers. We're just as Christians not able to do that. I had a conversation with uh, my daughter, Cassie. She's a go-getter. Her and her friends are mobile. They want to be around the whole town. So she told us once that her and her friends took an Uber to the mall. And I was like, on the one hand, that's one less ride I had to provide. Way to go. But on the other hand, I'm like, wait a minute. You guys aren't 18. How did you take an Uber? And so I had to remind her that that is against the law, right? We had an interesting conversation about laws and how they actually had to lie to take that Uber. There are laws, and Christians have to follow the laws. God expects Christians to know the laws and to obey them. That's one way we submit to authority figures. So how are you doing? How are you doing heart check, heart check? How are you doing at submitting to the laws and the rulers of the land? Because if you, if you resist or reject the authority, jot this down, you are resisting God. You are resisting God. Uh, your relationship with the governing authorities in your life, this is super huge and I hope that you understand this. Some, some people have been in church for a long time and they still don't understand this. Your relationship with the authority figures in your life is your relationship to your God. You cannot separate those things. You cannot be at war with your parents and at peace with your God. It's impossible biblically. You can't be at war with your employer and at peace with your God. You can't be at war with your government and at peace with your God. You can't. Don't resist or reject authority because you're resisting God. Here's a, here's a picture of a t-shirt that you can buy on an anarchist website. Rebel, refuse, resist, revolt. And for some people, that's their heart. Their heart is just against authority. And, and I want to challenge you not to be deceived. Uh, listen, if you look back over your life and there is a pattern of rivalry, protest, strife, collision with authority, followed by painful consequences, it's time to submit your heart to God. It's time to submit your heart to God. Some people I know have been through multiple traumatic life-altering events because of their problem with authority, and they still don't get it. How is this happening again? They still don't get it. Don't resist or reject authority. This is true at home, at work, in church, and in the world. Because you're resisting God. Now, I know what you want to talk about. Yes, but Ryan, there are times where, where there are exceptions, right? Yes. But this sermon is not about that. <laughs> All right, I'll talk about it for a little bit. Yes, there is a time to resist the authority in your life. This is modeled in Scripture for us. Daniel was not legally allowed to pray. He just kept praying. He got thrown, what? To the lions, right? So if your government tells you it's illegal to pray, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, were told to bow down before a They didn't do it. They got thrown in the fire. They resisted. They resisted. The apostles were told, you are no longer allowed to preach in the name of this Jesus. And they said, judge for yourself if we're going to obey God or man. They resisted. Jesus stood before a sham trial, right? A show trial. And wouldn't answer their questions. He resisted. 
And, but here's the thing. You have to understand that when you resist the authority, everything I'm saying about the authority is still true. Okay? They still are appointed and established by God. What did, Jesus say, what did Jesus say to Pilate? You would have no authority if it was not given to you from God. Now look, if this is, the, if this is true for the guy who's literally killing God, the son, he's still using God's authority, then any ruler in your life, they still have authority. So, so you can't still reject it. You can't still resist it in an unbiblical way. But there are times, exceptions in the Bible, when Christians have to be called to civil disobedience. Uh, listen, Christians do have a right and a responsibility to hold governments accountable to do the right thing, right? We have a right and we have a responsibility to hold our governments accountable to do the right thing. We never lose our voice on the school board. We never lose our voice in the courtroom. Christians also have a right of appeal. If your home is breaking down, you can appeal to the church. If the church is breaking down, you can appeal to the government. If the government is breaking down, you can appeal to God. We always have a right to expect the governments to do the right thing and to appeal when the authorities in our life are not doing the right thing. So this does not teach, just sit there and be quiet. It doesn't matter what the government is doing to you. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. Now that's the exceptions. But the rule is don't resist or reject authority because you're resisting God. Jot this down. Also don't resist or reject authority because you'll be judged. You'll be judged. It says here, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God promises you that if you resist the authorities and break these scriptures that you're going to have pain in your life. It's pain endorsed by God, and it's pain directly or indirectly caused by God. Listen, parents will punish. Bosses will discipline. Schools will suspend. Cops will arrest, courts will imprison, and God will be against you. The pain and the suffering you endure is God's way of alerting you to your spiritual peril that your heart is not right with Him. And I want you to understand that in this church, we take this very seriously. Our elders have spiritual authority to take care of God's people. Um, but if, there's a, if you're caught in a sin, we will sit down with you and we will hold you accountable to God's word. We'll say, look. God wants you to get this area under control. And we don't have a church culture where we just let unrepentant sin go unconfronted for years and years, right? Gracious, firm, but we help people in those situations. Um, and you need to know at this church that in this church, we hold pastors accountable to God's word. And if a pastor is not complying with God's word, the elders graciously and firmly use their authority to hold the pastors and the leaders accountable to God's word, no matter the pain it causes to our church or to that person. This is a church where we know God wants us to hold people accountable to his word. And if leaders or people resist or reject the authority, there will be pain, there will be suffering, but this is God's will. Number one, be subject to the governing authorities because God established all government. Number two, don't resist or reject authority because you are resisting God and because you will be judged. Number three, jot this down, use authority to reward good and punish bad. So we see some commentary here on how authority is to be used. It says here in verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Now, that's a description of authority as it should be. So, generally speaking, in, in the Roman Empire, you know, the, the Apostle Paul knew that if you do bad, you're in big trouble. And if you do good, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah, there were the exceptions. I mean, Paul models that there was a time where he had to be lowered down in a basket to flee from persecution in a city, right? He knows that. He, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how, how many times he's been beaten and, and stoned. and you know, He knows all of that. His eyes are wide open to the abuses of power in his life. So he's talking, generally speaking, look, the rule is, rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct. Do what is right, and things will generally go well for you. But if you do what is bad, generally things won't go well for you. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. It goes on to say this, For he is God's servant for your good. Boy, that's a powerful statement. And this is something that Christians should take to heart. Look, the, govern, the government in place, they're God's servant for your good. God is going to use the government to do a lot of good in your life. And that's true. That has been true your whole life. It's good when the government makes sure that you have clean water, right, and affordable energy. It's good when the government makes sure that your roads are in good repair and that people are following the rules that keep you and your children safe. Generally speaking, the amount of good God has done in your life through the government is immeasurable, astronomical. And because of that, there should be overall a tremendous amount of gratitude for government. It's been said before that, that bad government is better than no government, right? And it is true. Very often it is true that having some structure in society is better than total anarchy. Now, that just doesn't justify or excuse the abuses, but it's just stating a general rule that's true. Number four, he's, or Verse 4, he's God's servant for your good, but if you do what is wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. This includes all the way up to capital punishment, the very sword of execution. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. I'm the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Boy, these are really strong words, and the language is very descriptive. When it says that this, is, this government authority is God's servant, the word used there is the same word used for deacon, right? God's deacon, God's servant, God's servant to you. God's servant to you. Now, to the Christian, that should be reassuring. This person has God as a boss, God wants to use that person to bring good into my life. Structure, law, order. They're on God's payroll, right? They're on God's, they're under God's jurisdiction. And um, to those of us who have some measure of authority in the church, in the home, in the workplace, maybe even you're a part of the government, boy, that should really begin to help us see the gravity of how we use our authority. We are God's servant, God's messenger. We belong to him. He's our superior, and he's watching our every move. That should be sobering. That, that should not cause us to be like, you'll do what I say because I, I'm God's servant. You know, like this should make us be like, wow, God's my boss. God's my superior. Wow. I better be pretty careful what I do with his authority. Jot this down. We're to fear God's wrath. This is true of civilian and ruler. We're to fear God's wrath. It's talking to everyone who's under authority here, but it lays it out pretty clearly. When it says here, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, which you have no fear of the one who is in authority, do what is good. Now that applies to the rulers too. Rulers do what is good. 
that you'll have no fear because you're under authority too. Then it says, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Isn't that something? When God has a problem with somebody, more often than not, the most common way God takes care of a bad person who he's really angry with is he uses the government. And the word here is avenger, right? Here's a, here's a picture of the Avengers. These movies are all out, right? Here, and this is like God's avengers are the government. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, please don't make the government get a big head. That's the last thing we want is for them to pretend to be wearing a cape that God gave them. I'm God's avenger, you know, like, but look, this is the way that the scripture describes how the authorities are established by God. They are to justly punish the wicked on God's behalf. Uh, I know the reason why we have a big problem with this, and it's because so many authority figures have taken advantage of their power. And so we're like, the last thing we want is for them to be thinking of themselves as superheroes. I was sitting at having lunch on Friday, and there was a copy of the Sun-Times on the table. Here's a, here's a front page of the Chicago Sun-Times this week. Keep Blago behind bars. There's the main one, one of our rulers who has failed us. And then on the right, celeb priest accused of sex abuse in the 1970s. There's another spiritual authority figure who, who is accused of terrible things. Mayor expected to disclose budget shortfall over a billion dollars. It like never stops. There's all these critical things because are our rulers truly serving us or are they serving themselves? That's what we're afraid of. Well, I want to reassure you that when the Bible says use authority to reward good and punish bad, uh, it also promises that rulers will be held accountable. We'll be held accountable to our response. They'll be held accountable to their actions. So we, we and they have to fear God's wrath. And Psalm 2, 10 to 11 says this, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Far from leaving this passage with a sense of superiority, a ruler or a governing official should not look at this and be like, oh, now I can get him to do anything that I tell him with these verses. They should walk out of this feeling like, holy cow, I'm going to be judged for what I'm doing. I didn't realize that, that God was one of my constituents and my superior, or, or that God's people are my constituents and God is my superior. Wow, that should create, according to the Bible, Fear and trembling in the hearts of any ruler. This is God's will. Jot this down. Keep a clear conscience. Use authority to reward good and punish bad. Fear God's wrath. Keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. There is, the fact that the word conscience is used here does give us um, the insight into the fact that a lot of what we do with our choices are subject to conscience. It says in verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, the, the conscience, on the one hand, is if there is a law and you break it, your conscience will be like, red alert, red alert. But the conscience also applies to gray areas. And I do want to state this, even though this is not what the sermon is about. There are times where you're interacting with policies or governments or authorities where there is a legitimate confusion. You're not sure exactly how to do the right thing, all right? That's legitimate. And if it is a gray, first of all, you have to be sure that it is a gray area, all right? Because if you come up to me and you're like, oh yeah, pay in my city sticker, I see that as a gray area. I'm going to be like, pay the sticker, all right? Don't tell me 
you know, don't talk, oh, so some governments are like North Korea. You can't trust rulers. I'm not paying my city sticker. It's like, all right, that's a stretch. Pay the sticker. So don't use the exceptions to avoid what is black and white. If you're getting out of paying your taxes or fees or whatever, please get off the whole, oh, that, oh that's a gray area. If it's black and white, do what is right. But there are gray areas. I had breakfast with Mike Dawson, the missionary that we support in Venezuela. Venezuela. And I said, Mike, you picked the wrong pastor to have breakfast with because I'm preaching on Romans 13 this weekend. And he goes, oh boy, I know where this is going. Here's a picture of Mike Dawson, the guy that we support. And I said, Mike, how do you live out Romans 13 in Venezuela? He goes, Pastor, i got to be honest with you. Often, we don't know the right decision to make. It's, it's become impossible to live with total integrity and we, a lot of what we do is subject to conscience. And I said, well, talk me through it. He said, well, first of all, to begin with, we have two presidents right now in our country. Here's a picture. And, they, and both of them deny that the other person has the right to be in charge. Right? So that would be the equivalent if uh, Hillary didn't concede the election and she set up her own government right now and we have two separate, two separate presidents and we're just like, what? what? I Can you imagine? <laughs> One is enough. We're dealing with that. Can you imagine two? So they're like, we, you know, from the very top, we're like politically confused. And our government is politically confused. He's like, and then we live in a, you know, communist society where the government controls the supply of all food and fuel. So the government is the only sole supplier. The government is also the only owner of all, uh, of all right? So if you want things that are basic for life, food, fuel, the government is the one who gets it to you. The problem is, here's what's happening. There's nothing in the store. There's nothing at the gas station because the government officials are buying the fuel and food on the side. Then they're profiting in the black market. So the only way we can get it is going to the black market, knowing that this is a corrupt system where if I buy this food or this fuel, it's perpetuating the cycle of government official getting rich off of the black market. He's like, but what are we going to do? We've got to get home. We've got to eat. He's like, so this is, it's just systematically corrupt to such a level that so much of what we do has to be governed by conscience because it really is impossible to even know what is right and to do that, and that's by the design of the government. And I was like, wow, I like my government a whole lot better now. Could I have breakfast with you again next week? <laughs> Can you even imagine? So I want you to know that there does come a time where you are going to have, you're going to be confused. You're going to have to do your best to find out what is the law, what is right and wrong, what does the Bible say, to get wisdom. This is how you function in gray areas. Know what the law is. Ignorance is not an excuse. Well, I didn't know it was wrong. your fault. Know what the law is. Know what the Bible says. Oh, I didn't know the Bible said that was wrong. Your fault. Okay. Get wisdom, right? Get wisdom and then make the best possible choice that you can. Keep a clear conscience. So number one, be subject to the governing authorities. Number two, don't resist or reject authority. Number three, use authority to reward good and punish bad. Number four, jot this down, honor and respect your authority figures. Honor and respect your authority figures. Verse six, for because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So there's a few of them that are like actual tangible things like pay your taxes or your tributes or your whatever, your tolls. But there's another one that's more of an attitude. Respect, 
which the word in the Greek there is fear, or fear, meaning, meaning you recognize their authority with tremendous emotional uh, strength there, fear, and honor. You're willing to honor those who are in authority over you. There's not this internal, silent, brooding protest. It's better than that. Honor and respect your authority figures. Jot this down in your finances and jot this down with your attitude and your words. Children, honor your parents with your attitude and your words. Uh, employees, honor your employer with your attitude and your words. Uh, church family, honor your church leaders with your attitude and your words. And all of us must honor our government with our attitude and our words. I wonder what would happen. Here's my, my specific challenge for you this week. Just in some conversation, or if you're bold enough on social media, I'd like you to say this to somebody this week. I'm grateful for the government that God has provided for me. I'd like you to just say that. I'm, I'm grateful for the government that God has provided for me. Aren't you nervous? If you're talking about the federal government, you're like, well, I kind of know how people would think what I mean by that. If you're talking about the Illinois state government, talking about the local government, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I want you to do it too. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the government God has provided for me. Are you willing to honor your government? Remember, all authority is imperfect. You will always find a reason to disrespect or reject the authority figures in your life. And therefore, 100% of the time when God says, honor and respect the authority figures in your life, it implies that they are not perfect. So you can't tell me the 10 reasons why this doesn't apply to your parents or the three reasons this leader, you know, hurt your... It, it assumes that they are imperfect. If, if the only authority you'll honor is perfect authority, you're disobeying God's word because there is no such thing. So have I closed all the exceptions off and the loopholes and the places you're trying to run and hide from these commands? <laughs> That's my job. Let me give you some resources as we close out the message here because I'm sure that there are one billion questions that I haven't answered in your hearts today. Here are some resources that have really helped me on this topic. Uh, you can write these down. Wayne Grudem wrote a book called Politics According to the Bible. It's a textbook. So if you have questions about every single area of policy, you know, uh, that, that you would like to know, what does the Bible say about it? How can I live out the Christian life or find my voice on that topic? This is comprehensive. So if, you, if you're like, this is right up my alley, then buy this book, Politics According to the Bible by Wayne Grudem, and you will love every page of it. Um, next, you can pick up this book. It's called Last Call for Liberty. If you'd like to trace the Christian uh, definition of freedom and, and you'd like to compare different worldviews and different ways that people today are defining liberty and freedom, uh, if you'd like to get a handle on why the, the culture is at war politically, this is a great book. Oz Guinness is on Ravi Zacharias' team. It's called How America's Genius for Freedom Has Become Its Greatest Threat. I mean, if, you're, if you get really excited about learning what Aristotle thought about government and all that, like this is a great, I just finished it. It's a great historical read, and it'll give you a depth of understanding of the basic components of what freedom and liberty and government really should be. So that's a, a great book. This next one is a podcast. Uh, you can find Albert Moeller's podcast, The Briefing, and every day he has a 15, 20-minute podcast that just gives you a few headlines in a Christian and a Christian evaluation of what's going on in the world. 
I listen to this every day for the last three years. And if you do so, you'll feel informed and you'll feel like the fog of what's going on clears up. You'll have a, more of a clear understanding of where the world is and where it's going and what the Bible says about that. Albert Muller, the briefing. And then finally, uh, this is not a Christian, but Ben Shapiro is a, a Jewish political commentator. Uh, there's a, a lot of what he says and how he says it that I would say is not Christian, but this is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most clear-thinking analysts uh, of what's going on from a Judeo-Christian worldview. I'm not saying listen to him because you have to agree with his politics, but what I'm saying is he is one of the sharpest evaluators from a Judeo-Christian worldview of what's going on in the world. And here's what I love about him. He's a great listener. He's had Ravi Zacharias on his show. He's had John MacArthur on his show. Uh, he ha he's had, who's the other one I'm forgetting? Um, uh, I can't remember, but he's had three really awesome Christian thinkers on his show, and he's just listened. Tell me, tell me your view on this. And I really appreciate that. I think he sets in many ways a great example for how we can understand what's going on in the world around us. Uh, number one, be subject to governing authorities. Number two, don't resist or reject authority. Number three, use authority to reward good and punish bad. Number four, honor and respect your authority figures and get all that done by next Sunday. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, what a challenge you've given us today. And I just pray that our hearts would soften up. Uh, Lord, I know that we just live in a day where everyone with an opinion seems to be screaming it. And we're pressured to pick a side and uh, just help us to know what your will is, what your heart is. I do pray that you would increase our gratitude. Uh, despite our ability, because of our free press, despite our ability to know every fault of every leader today, um, thank you, Lord, for the freedom we enjoy, for the economy that we enjoy, for the military that protects us every day, for the fact that law and order generally functions correctly. Um, Lord, compared to all of the different possible governments of all of history, how can we complain? But help us, Lord, to know how to be a, a positive influence by our response to government, and if, if it should come up that we need to be a voice against what's happening. Help us to do that, Lord, in a way that glorifies you. Form our hearts in this according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.